Okay, y'all, I do want to welcome incoming students. Colin, I, I did a mistake in the first service. I actually had the incoming students raise their hands, and evidently you do not do that. <laughs> Colin was quick to tell me not to do that. So I'm not going to do that. I want to so bad, but I'm not. Um, but we are glad you're here. We actually waited for you. We have been waiting for you as everybody's been getting back from the summer and all their travels. We've actually held off the fall preaching plan just for you. <laughs> Uh, we hope uh, at Redeemer to be two things for you. Number one, we want to be your friend, genuinely, truly. I'm not being hokey. We do want to be your friend. Um, Ty and I watched the Avengers Endgame again on Friday night because we had to go buy it because it just came out. Didn't you all know it just came out on Blu-ray? So if you're counting, this is the third time we watched it. And of course, absolutely, we love this movie in our house. Uh, the plot line has been incredible. I mean, it's 10 years in the making, is it not? 10 years. That plot line has been building for this movie. The characters, phenomenal, unbelievable. I mean, cheese whiz Thor. Who thought of that? Have y'all seen it? You know what I'm talking about? Absolutely hysterical. Thor, cheese whiz Thor now. I mean, it was phenomenal character development. And then the action in the movie. I mean, it's a superhero movie. But every time I watch it, it's the friendship that strikes me most deeply. I know it's the movies, y'all. I know it's the movies. But when you watch it, it goes to the core of your being, and you long for it to be true. You long for friends like that. You long for relationships like that. Um, the self-giving kind. I mean, how many times, this is not a Christian movie, do you know how many times substitutionary love won the day in that film? A radical acceptance. I mean, they could be themselves. They could be jerks. They could be you-know-whats, and they're still accepted and welcomed. They have this sense of, if you go, well, I've got to go. They have this teamwork, man, that they are pursuing something that's so bigger than them that actually gives them the sanity of living outside of themselves. We want to be your friend. Legit. We do. Second thing we want for you is a safe place. We want a safe place for you to learn how to build your messy life around Jesus and his salvation with other messy people. We want this to be a place that's unshockable for you, safe, that you learn to build a life around a grace salvation, not a self-salvation that actually releases Jesus and his salvation upon you, that he actually speaks you back to life. We want to be a part of a person, not biblical principles, that speak you back to life. And we want to be that kind of a place for you. If here's Basically, I could say it this way. If the last thing you need this morning, if the last thing you need in your Christian life is for someone or something or a church to tell you one more thing you have to do for God, if that's the last thing you need, welcome home. We are about good news. We're not about good advice. We'll throw good advice out there, but it's always going to be in the context of good news. Okay, seeing you incoming students, this is the first time I did the church fair yesterday. I had so much fun. I'm like, where have I been all these years? I should have been out there every 
I was going to say something else. Every year, I should have been out there. It was so fun meeting you. And I saw some of you in the first service. I see some of you in the second service. It was much more personal for me this year because I just dropped off my daughter to school. And I hope she gets welcomed. I hope she gets befriended. I hope she gets loved. So if I may, can I say something to you, young ladies, in the spirit of handing my daughter off to the, to the wild, wild west, I feel like, the jungle. Um, I'm hugging her, and <laughs> what restaurant were we outside of? What was it? Canes. Everybody in Canes were looking out the window thinking, what is going on out there? I mean, we're boo-hooing. I mean, it's just, it was... Oh, it was, it was heart-wrenching for me. It was heart-wrenching for all of us. But I'm saying goodbye to her, and this is what I told her, and I just want to say this to you young ladies because I want you to know this too. I said, honey, I'm the first one that loved you, and I will be the last. And I should have stopped there because it would have been real good. That dadgummit, I get so impulsive sometimes. And I said, so, you don't need a boy. <laughs> I know, I know, someday she'll find the boy. But do I still have to like the boy? Heck no, I still don't have to like the boy. Where does it say I have to like the boy? She does, I don't. I think that's a great relationship. Now, I also, just so you know, footnote, we have five kids, so I have three sons and two daughters, and two sons have gone off to school. The third son, it'll, it'll be a while. It'll be about nine more years, ten more years. Um, but I told them, and I, I would like to speak to you young men now. I told them uh, I would always, I always try to make it a habit, I will always grab their face, and I will look them in the eye, and I will tell them, I love you to the moon and back. You're enough, son. Go be free. Everyone in here, and particularly young men getting ready to go off to school, are churning inside. Their guts are churning of, am I loved? Am I enough? You are loved, and you are enough. Go be free. God himself says so. So we've been waiting for you because we have a really shocking, startling, unbelievable fall preaching schedule for you. So if I could have a drum roll. There we go. We are going to be preaching on the Song of Solomon, so please stand for the hearing of God's word. Uh, I will say this is a long read, so if you do get tired, you can sit down and nobody will think ill of you but me. So the reading this morning is the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Oh, yes. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you that you're with us even now. And, Lord, we acknowledge that it's not about us uh, 
grasping you. It's you have already given and taken hold of us. And so right now we don't have to try to think better, feel better, experience better, uh, desire better, do better. Um, you've done it all. So all we have to do is need you. And you even give us the need. So, oh Lord, would you speak? Oh Lord, would you work? Oh Lord, would you act? Oh Lord, would you do because you have done? And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I feel like I need to say something profound. And so it begins. We are beginning. Um, I want to look at first what other people are saying about the Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. Same thing, okay? Um, a church historian says it this way. This book that we're about to look at is the most neglected book in the Bible. But here's what's so crazy, y'all. If you go to ancient church history, there are more sermons and more commentaries, at least four times more on the Song of Solomon than Romans or Galatians. A skeptic says of the Song of Songs, one of the most intriguing and difficult books of the Bible to understand. Oh, yeah. Amen to that. This is not going to be fun exegesis. Well, it will be fun exegesis, but not easy exegesis this, this fall. A relationship expert says, Biblical wisdom about love and sexuality has perhaps never been as crucial and needed by the church as it is today. An important book for us all. <laughs> Another relational expert says, A book of costly value for both single and married people. End quote. A seminary president says, So, is the Song of Songs really about sex or Jesus? A scholar says, well, how do we read the Song of Songs? Allegory? Dating and sex manual? The wonder of human romance? Or the radical reality of the spousal love of God himself? Those are our options. Is it an either or? Hmm. I felt bad when I said this in the first service, but not bad enough to not say it in the second service. <laughs> There's a hokey, I call him a hokey, ho you know I say hokey Christian a lot. We don't want to be hokey Christians. We really don't. But when I see one, I just can't help but say, that's a hokey Christian. Uh, a hokey Christian speaker and author said it this way, my husband has always been a big fan of the Song of Solomon. I wonder why. Now I am to exclamation point. Some pages made me cry. Other pages made me whirl around like a giddy schoolgirl school in love. End quote. Let's move on. A higher life Christian says, are you ready to take your marriage to the next level? Read this book. So you higher life folks, this is the book for you. You want to take your marriage to the next level? You want to take your dating relationship to marriage? Someone in Redeemer says, can't wait. <laughs> oh, I just thought that was the best. And then an unnamed wife of a local pastor said, honey, you better be careful. <laughs> a popular book on the Song of Songs says emotions rise and fall with a simple glance, a simple touch, a simple kiss, a simple word. And we are inundated with songs and movies and advice that contradict God's design for love and intimacy. The Song of Songs will forever change how you view, and how you approach love. So what are we going to do today? we got to do something today, right? Well, I, I just want us to 
to dip our toe in the water. Here's this, you know, if this is the song of songs, we're just going to just kind of dip our toe in because I'm really taking seriously that pastor's wife who said, be careful. So I'm trying to be really careful here. Here's the goal, though, of today. So we're going to dip our toe in, but the goal is to get deeply personal. In other words, for you to get deeply personal. How? How is this supposed to get you deeply personal? Because the goal this morning is for this book to actually make you want to read it. I know there are many different things happening in you as this book goes forth. Some of you have been sexually abused. Some of you are in a loveless marriage. Some of you struggle with same-sex desires. Some of you frequent Tinder. And this text, this book is saying, I want you to read me. So, some of you, let's start with the first person out there. Some of you are thinking, oh, Jeff, don't you worry. I really want to read it, <laughs> right? Amazon.com lists for sale over 151,000 books on marriage right now and counting. They list 27,000 books on dating, 12,000 books on physical attraction, 190,000 books 50,000 more than marriage on sex. Everyone today really, really wants human romance. Ernest Becker is a celebrated anthropologist, and he's an expert on human motivation. He wrote this really, really happy book back in 1973 called The Denial of Death. He wins the Pulitzer Prize for it in 1974. But he introduces this term, it's breathtaking, he calls it apocalyptic romance. He does something that's so incredible, and he's not a Christian, so he doesn't have that kind of insight. He's agnostic, he doesn't know if God exists or not, but he knows enough to know this. This is what he says, he says, listen, when the divine, when the God disappears from a life, this massive black hole, this massive void, this God-shaped hole, God-sized hole is created in the soul. And he asks a simple question. He says, so what is it that human beings turn to first and foremost to fill the void? His answer, romance. Apocalyptic romance. The love partner becomes the divine ideal within which to fulfill one's life. All spiritual and moral needs now become focused in one individual. In other words, now we put all the weight, all the expectations, all the glory on something that can't meet it. A quick survey of our books, our magazines, our movies, our music, reality TV, your wrecked relationships our heartbreak, and we begin to think, oh my word, Becker's a prophet. Song of Psalms says to us, this is what it says to us, to all of us, it says, listen, 
Human romance cannot save you. Human romance cannot complete you. Human romance cannot give you the apocalyptic love, the apocalyptic intimacy, the apocalyptic romance, the apocalyptic fidelity, the apocalyptic sensual pleasure you long for. Human romance, Song of Songs is going to say, by God's design, points to apocalyptic romance, but can't provide it. It stirs it in you. It gives you a thirst and a raging hunger for it. But it can only point you further on. It, it has deposits. It has like propensities and properties and proportions of God's glory. But it's not God's glory. It's good because it's part of his glory. And it's packed with a potency glory in it, but it's not glory itself. If you long for apocalyptic love, the Song of Songs says to you, read me to find what you long for. Some of you are thinking, yeah, well, I really don't want to read the Song of Songs. I mean, good night, Jeff. You're already killing me. My children are listening. Yeah. Okay. Let's just get this over with, can we, please? Sex, 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 sex. And my wife is cringing. You're going to hear that loads. You're going to hear that tons. You're going to hear that in heaps. You're going to hear it a lot. And I hate to be the one to break it to you, but I'm going to. Your child has thought of that word more than you care to know. Your child has listened and heard about that word more than you care to know. Your child has developed ideas about that word more than you ever thought and more you ever dreamed and more than you ever wanted to. The Song of Songs says to you, parents, don't be scared. If your child is old enough to understand and ask questions about what we're talking about in the Song of Solomon, then your child is old enough to hear from God what he thinks about it. How he designed it. What it's really all about. The author of it wants to tell your child what it is, why it is. So if they're not able to understand it, if they're not able to ask questions about it, what are you worried about? They are sitting there in happily bliss as it flies over their head. But if you would rather, let's just put it this way, we got to ask ourselves, do we really want biblical teaching on sex? Or would we rather have Netflix teach your child, Grand Theft Auto teach your child, the health teacher teach your child, and little Harry sitting next to your cute little Harriet teach your child? I'm just saying. You know, it's always interesting to me to look at cultural differences because we're in a cultural difference right now. Uh, when I was a missionary and we were in the Soviet Union, our team, for a year, we would say this over and over again. We would say, it's not just, it's just different. It's not wrong. And I would always mumble under my breath, no, that's just dang wrong. And then with this girl, <laughs> this girl from Alabama, I can't imitate the accent, but it's absolutely hysterical. She looked at me with her hands on her hips one day and said, it's enough to make a missionary cuss. 
And this is what I mean. What Texans think, I love when our Canadian friends come into town, Hawthorns, who live here, and I loved when they moved here. Um, when they came into town, see what Texans think is cussing, Canadians think is just normal conversation. And so their first time in the church, they're having chatty, normal conversations. And everyone in Redeemer's going, Right, Adrian? Remember that? Oh, I loved it. I love the stories in the nursery. Yeah, those are the best. We're all modern church people, so we're all wide-eyed about talking about sex in church. But you know the ancient church? The ancient church, the first church, the ancient Israel, you know what they did? They read this thing out loud, young and old, together, as a community, every wedding. And not only that, they did it with dancing and celebrating, and joy, and they did it with feasting, and they did it as friends, and as a community, and a family together. It really is just about your historical, cultural situation, and where you sit, because in other cultures, it's not a big deal. Parents, don't be scared. Some of you are thinking, yeah, well, Jeff, I'm sexually broken, so what do I do? A quick response from the whole Bible is this. Everyone is sexually broken. There are no sexually pure Christians. There are only Christians. Purity, righteousness, wholeness, healing comes from another not from us. And some of you are so, right now, and I know we're going to tease this out, and maybe we can do this on Wednesday evening too, because of your first experiences might have been abusive, um, so loaded with shame. If that's you, will you please come talk to me? Don't, don't try to deal with this on your own because you can't. And we'll have some ladies that... Uh, possibly have traveled that journey too that could be of help to you if that's you. All right, according to the most recent research, by the time a teen graduates from high school, he or she will have seen no less than 14,000 sexual images simply by living your life innocently. 14,000. On the other end of the spectrum, which means not living your life innocently, in the United States, pornography is a $97 billion industry. It makes more money than the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball combined. Porn sites receive more visitors each month than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. The top porn site in the United States is one of the top three bandwidth-consuming companies in the world. The other two companies are Google and Netflix. Pornography is the fastest growing industry in the world, and experts say the introduction of virtual reality or VR will double porn's pace in the future. All experts are saying, quote, it seems so obvious. If we invent a machine, the first thing we're going to do with it after making a profit is watch porn with it, end quote. So here's, here's the first response to Song of Songs says to some of us who are sexually broken, this is what it says to some of us who are sexually broken, get married and look at your wife. 
didn't see that one coming, did you? Now, I know that, um, and I understand the statistics today are showing that more and more women are looking at porn. I get that. Generally speaking, generally speaking, this is just generally speaking, men seem to have a greater sight potency sexually. Women seem to have a greater touch potency sexually. Just generally speaking, but I know there are exceptions and we all move back and forth in there. I like touch just like anybody else. The Song of Songs also says to us who are sexually broken, this is so important, the Song of Songs is going to say to everyone who's sexually broken, only the spousal love of Jesus can reach the bottom depths of your heart and those damaged places and heal you. Nothing else can. Nothing else can. Only the spousal love of Jesus can reach and renew you. Read me, the Song of Songs says. There is redemptive healing for you. Some of us are thinking, yeah, Jeff, but sex is dirty. I've been told my whole life, no, 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 from my parents to the church to the community. No, 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 right? The Song of Songs says to you, this is your understanding of things. No. Sex is not dirty. In fact, God created our physical bodies and our sexualities. He created the male body with testosterone and the sexual parts. He created the female bodies with estrogen and the sexual parts. And then God gave a man and a woman to each other to be one flesh, which is to have sexual intimacy, the first marriage. God's the father who gives the bride away. And just so he's clear, he wants to make clear before all of human history, because this is the beginning of all things, the beginning of human history, he makes it this way, designs it this way, and then says, so everyone's clear because people are going to come along are called technically theologically Gnostics or the Greeks who are going to divide the body and the spirit, make the body evil and the spirit somehow the best thing on the planet. And we don't do that today in the church, do we? God says, it is good. Everything he did and everything that happens in Genesis 1 and 2. As one Song of Songs scholar says, this was God's idea, not the devil's. When Adam woke up, he looked at the woman and the whole literary form shifted. He began to sing. Don't, don't miss this. The human being, the first human being, his first words are a love song. A love song. Oh my when he woke up and he saw her, he didn't go, yeah, yeah, that, that's kind of nice. But that, 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 the horse over there actually, you know. He went, oh, my word. Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In other words, the Hebrew, he names her woman, which from the Hebrew essentially means out of me or mine. How profound is that? Because this is exactly a forecast or a foretaste of the woman in the Song of Songs who's going to say in this book, 
My beloved is mine and I am his. Now, some of you are hearing that and you immediately think control and you immediately think codependency and I'm sorry that you do, but that's not what this is. But this is like a lasting, loyal, never-ending, unbreakable love. Unique. Another scholar says, if sex is dirty, is sex dirty and demeaning, as others have said? No. Biblical Christianity may be the most body-positive religion in the world, end quote. That's a pretty good line. The most body-positive religion in the world is Christianity. Not in some churches I go to. Yeah. The Song of Songs, along with the whole Bible, says, not no, 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 but yes, 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 in marriage. Now come read me for the details. All right, some of us reading the Song of Songs this fall are teens. You're exploding with hormones and desires right now. All of us that are, well, we understand. You know what's really interesting? The Song of Songs is going to open up and address that, the very first thing. So, teens, you might want to be here next week. But just to be clear, because this is not just a teen thing, my dear friend Dr. Hannah told me in seminary that he had, his mentor was his church history prof. And you know what that church history prof did for him? He retired early so John could take his spot. I mean, holy cow. I wonder how many of us would do that. But he asked his, his mentor when he was 84, he came to him and said, I don't remember what his name was, but John, Dr. Hannah said to him, you know, when, when does the strong sexual desires finally lessen? And the man turned to him and said, well, it has to be sometime. Some of us reading the Song of Songs have lost that loving feeling towards your spouse. Some of us reading the Song of Songs struggle with same-sex desires. You're struggling with your gender. You frequent Tinder. You view sex as a natural appetite like drinking and sleeping and eating, and you're like, what's the big deal? Stop making it such a big deal. And the Song of Songs is after all of us and invites all of us and says, come on, read me. There's something here for you. We're going to end. We're going to end with one last person that's out there, and I want to address the single person because <laughs> you're probably thinking, you don't want me around till Christmas, do you? Either that or you just plan on torturing me for the next 12 weeks. I do plan on torturing you for the next 12 weeks. Yes, because suffering builds character. That's what I really want to do. No, just kidding. Here's the deal. You know how the Bible begins? With a marriage. You know how the Bible ends? With a marriage. Marriage is a big deal, not because you need to get married. Marriage is a big deal because God... When he formed it, God, when he designed it, God, when he packed it with potency of glory, he had 
his son's love for you in mind. So single person, you cannot fully understand and fully experience the powerful spousal love of Jesus for you without understanding marriage, whether you get married or not, whether you struggle with same-sex desires or not, whether you're struggling with your gender or not. It's impossible. The first love song was the first human marriage. And then you have this apocalyptic marriage, this cosmic marriage. And it's the ultimate love song. It's the song of songs. This book already knew about the song of songs. It knew that this human romance that it's connecting is real and it's a love song, and it's the first love song, but it knew that it is intimately connected, intimately points, intimately pushes you further, and intimately finds its essence and its reality and its basis and its strength and its power in the spousal love of Jesus for you. The song of songs. Are you ready to read it?